Recording in progress. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu Bimitzvotav Etivanu Laasok Bidivrei Torah Vehaarevna Adonai Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka Befinu Ufi Amka Beit Yisrael Venie Anaknu Vetsa Etzeinu Vetsa Etzee Amka Beit Yisrael Kulano Yodea Shemeka Velom De Torateka Lishma Baruch Atah Adonai Amlame Torah Leamo Yisrael. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melakaolam Asher Bachar Banu Mikol Hamin Venatan Lanu et Torato. Baruch Atah Adonai Notain Ha Torah. Baruch Abab Adonai, we want Mashiach now. So this is the first week of the Bet Midrash. So this Bet Midrash translates as house of study uh, for those who may be wondering what does that even mean. And one of the coolest things about the Bet Midrash is that it literally is like if, if anyone's ever uh, been to a workout facility of any kind and to be even more specific than that, uh, like a martial arts training or uh, boxing or things like that. Basically, the picture is this is a place where you come, you get fit, you work out and you uh, you basically have, you know, training partners, training groups, things like that. We have plenty of space here. We even have breakout rooms. And uh, according to Zoom, you can do breakout rooms on Zoom. So in case in the future, as we want to expand, uh, we don't have many people here in person right now. But again, we have we're here for two hours, so um, anyone's open to come during that time. But all that to say is, as we expand, we can also do like little one on one or uh, like obviously make sure it's the same sex. Don't don't have the man and the woman off by themselves and things like that. We want to definitely make sure we're kosher uh, and things like that. But if you want to have a group of people where maybe there's two guys, one girl, two girls, one guy or something like that. Uh, and again, we're here in a very open setting. Or uh, if you're kind of next to someone and you something catches your attention, you go and just you start talking like right there. Um, there is a, a beautiful YouTube clip that I definitely will be sharing. Blee Nether, which is without a vow, Bezrat Hashem, um, because I want to make sure it's on my mind to share it. Um, from Rabbi Mollet, may he live and be well. Uh, he is a rabbi I was privileged to Zoom with uh, many times over a year and uh, looking forward to getting back to that. But the reason I bring that up is because he has a lot of shorts, uh, like just very like quick videos, like one, two minute, you know, eight minute videos and things like that. One of them he has about the Bet Midrash. And it's really cool because it's like yeshiva type atmosphere where he said, you know, you go in there, there's people standing at the bima, reading from the scroll, shuckling, you know, there's people reciting brachot, you know, from the sederim because, you know, during this time as well, this is a time for prayer. So if you ever feel like in the middle of best midrash time, you want to go and do ma'ariv, you want to go do birkat hamazon, things like that you definitely have the freedom to do it, you know, because we're supposed to be absorbed in prayer as we read, uh, you know, in the Siddur. So <clears throat> uh, the reason why I say that is because 
that means it's really, really loud. <laughs> and your focus and your concentration will be uh, tested and challenged. And if you're used to being in an atmosphere where it's quieter, more subdued, and it's just kind of like one person is the talking head and things like that, there are times for that for sure. But uh, especially to maximize our time, we will have a little bit of time of that. Like for instance, uh, one of the main things I definitely want to do tonight is uh, get into master plan uh, for the next chapter and then uh, kind of look at, you know, some of the other things like I introduced a learning model, which I don't know uh, who's been able to uh, receive that information, who's been working with them or working with the learning model or uh, how that is going. So this is definitely a time to kind of share with you some of the examples, some of the things that I was thinking about and putting that into play because I've actually used it quite a few times already this week. Nothing completely finalized that I'm proud to show, but I will definitely show it because uh, it is, it's been really cool just to use it. And uh, it, can really, it can really launch you off into a beautiful place if you really uh, have that time to devote into it because it does take time. And when you're studying, studying takes time. So please do know that. Um, but yeah, so anyway, with the whole video I was talking about from uh, Rabbi Mollet, uh, that it's a beautiful video to just kind of prep you and equip you with the mentality of what does it mean to be in the Bet Midrash. So um, that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is that there's the main books that I want to focus on, and I'm going to take off the share screen thing over here and I think I should be popping back up to see myself okay so uh, the main books that I want us to have as foundation uh, here and our time is uh, master plan so this is from Arya Carmel and uh, this is definitely the halakhic source we use at Magin Yashenu so when it comes to understanding halakha, uh, the, the main thing that you want to understand about that is all halakha stems from the Talmud. So when you are looking at what's the halakha that we go by, uh, it's, it's basically we get into the Talmud and we look at the situation, the circumstances, which is why we have the bet dean, and we come to a, uh, we come to a, a decision you know, we make a, a judgment on the situation. And so it's not necessarily picking and choosing as much as it is of making sure we come to a correct uh, way in which we're going to walk as a community. Because as Magin Yashenu, we don't have anything that we've inherited uh, from a direct generation that was before us. And so we're having to build everything ourselves, which is very hard to do, but it's also a, a very big blessing because we can take into account some of the things that um, that we really need to take into account as a community, because how words are living situation like we don't all live in the same area. So we have to take that into consideration and things like that. And so uh, and, and the level of learning that we're doing. So master plan is just such a beautiful way to get a bird's eye view of the halakha and the way that the mitzvot are grouped and categorized so that you can begin to kind of hone in, uh, which is really what the halakha does. 
and and to that point, uh, when we're looking at um, how we how we study Torah, how we live Torah, uh, we have what's known as the seventy faces, you know, and the the different commentaries and interpretations that we can read and study on a weekly basis uh, about the the parsha, about different parts of the Torah and things like that, and so. When, when we're looking at that, it's like, it's all over the place. And it's just kind of like, where do we ever come down and like hit ground level and like lock arm in arm and like kind of feel the same, uh, same thoughts, the same beliefs, you know, and things like that. And that's what the halakha does. So the halakha is where everything really comes to a, this is how we do it. This is where we stand. This is where we are. But as far as all the other stuff, you know, like, yes, we listen to Rashi. Yes, we listen to Rambam. You know, yes, we listen to the Arizal and things like that. And we take all these things into play. So um, hopefully that's the level of comfort and understanding, which is another reason why uh, it's important to understand uh, why have a master plan class. Why even take time to study this each week? Uh, it's because of that. Uh, and so far, the videos that have been posted on the Vimeo account have been like, for me anyway, they've been mind blowing because, you know, the halakha for what it means to work and be a person who employs workers. There's so many mitzvot in that and how they all connect to the Shema and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. It's just been like, like completely highlighted and illuminated like all the time. And so when our Mashiach tells us that the whole entire law hangs on these two mitzvot, like it literally is so like you could see it and it's through the halakha that you see it. So, uh, so yeah, so master plan, I will definitely take time for that. And these are the other two sources, uh, handbook of Jewish thought, volume one and volume two. So if you don't have these books, if you need help getting these books, please send me a message, you know, and we'll get you hooked up. Uh, because with these three different Seferim, you, you will be like so set. So um, that is uh, a little bit of an introduction. So uh, we have the tag system. If anyone wants to tag in anything and say anything at any time, uh, feel free to do that. Uh, also, if we want to discuss the Parsha, if we want to discuss anything in the handbooks or in Master Plan or any of the previous drashes, uh, we can definitely do that. Uh, and, and maybe you're thinking about something that you need help with in this week's Torah portion. So, again, it's just really an open time. This is a time to open the books and study as well. So, um, there we go. So, without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and open up master plan. And then um, after we finish this chapter, then uh, we'll we'll go on from there with uh, tonight's uh, whatever we're going to be learning. So we'll see. Each week is is always fun to uh, try to anticipate what we're going to learn, especially when we look at the Torah portion. It's like what's happening in the Parsha and what's happening in the world. Uh, you can kind of look at how those things correlate. So the last chapter of um, master plan that we did was about justice and property transfers. 
And uh, also there's a chat feature on here on Zoom. So I think everyone's kind of used to that already, but um, put questions in the chat. And uh, when we get to it, we can definitely do that. So, and again, everyone is free to unmute their mic whenever they have a question and raise hands or say tag or all of that. That goes for you in person too, so, okay. Cool, cool. All right, so um, master plan page 29 begins safety of the environment. So it says, this is the mitzvah of roof parapet, prevention of accidents, dealing with physical pollution. So here we go already looking at uh, the environment around us and like how do we uh, create safeguards and how do we improve it? So there is something in Judaism known as tikkun olam, uh, repairing and rebuilding the world. And this particular chapter of master plan is one of many facets to that particular point. So the source verses that you can find uh, from the written Torah and the oral Torah. In the written Torah, you can look at Deuteronomy 22, verse 8. And the oral Torah, you can look at Mishnah Bhavakama, chapter 3. And also Bhavakama 30a. And again, on Master Plan, page 29, it has the excerpts there. And we'll get into the first section talks about responsibility. It says a person is responsible for all the material things in his possession and in his use. And I want to tie this back to last week's tour portion of Aishlach. Why in the world would Yaakov spend so much time traveling back and forth across a river to make sure he got every single thing that belonged to him? even down to the small vessels that were left over at the end. Well, that's because Balaka says you're responsible for all the material things that are in your possession. So, you know, there is great care that we must take with our things. Uh, parents, we teach our children, right? Like, don't tear your clothes up, take care of your, your shoes, take care of your toys. Don't lose things. Try your best to put things back where you found them, right? So it works that way, parent to child. Hashem is our parent and we're his child. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> so uh, it says, even without the verdict of a court, and even if no claim is made, he must pay compensation for any harm they do to another person's or another person or property as a result of his negligence so another's person or property so how are you treating other people's family members the crazy part is is this is teaching us when we identify in a person-to-person -person relationship interpersonal relationships we have to understand that person belongs to someone else and I don't know if we ever think about it in that way, because sometimes it gets so one dimensional, like if I like this person, then, yeah, I'll, I'll focus on the rest of what is around that person. But if I don't like this person, then I'm like, I don't like this person. Get out of my face. You know, but it's like, no, we, we don't get to do that as Jews. So um, but the crazy thing is, is when we look at the fact of this is someone's mother. 
this is someone's brother, this is someone's cousin, you know, and things like that. Well, if there is any harm, physical, mental, spiritual, uh, we've just violated halakha. Like, and it literally traces back to one verse in the Torah in this particular case, Deuteronomy 22.8. This is how you read the written Torah and it's like surface and then you get a submarine or a rocket ship and go as far deep into that as you can go. And it's like, did you know that building a house and making a railing for your roof has to do with making sure you don't hurt someone else? Not just the fact of them falling off the balcony of your house, but making sure you don't bump into them too hard and push them over and cause them to fall, you know, and things like that. And it also extends to what belongs to that person. So don't go breaking people's things. If you see someone's laptop or computer or cell phone, take care of it like it's yours, you know. So that's the first section. And I, I thought that was really amazing that the 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 way that it's uh, integral that the bet dean the court of law in judaism is so intertwined with how we go about in our dealings that in this particular case you don't have to focus on let me call a bet dean member because someone broke my stuff it's like you don't even need to go to court for that you know but say like we looked at last chapter Let's go back a page, page 27. So this is uh, from Parshat Mishpatim, where you have the different custodians, where if you're going to have someone uh, take care of something while you're away, like house sitting or you're letting someone borrow your car, things like that. Well, Bet Dean gets involved depending on what level of uh, custodian you made the person. And so... You know, where we are now in this particular chapter, it's like, this isn't that technical. This isn't that deep. It literally is something person to person that we need to be working out and need to be mindful of, like, without a third party. So uh, just a level of closeness there. Uh, the next part, safety. It says the mitzvah of the parapet cited at the beginning of this chapter is generalized by the oral Torah, the oral law to include taking the utmost care with anything in your domain, which is potentially dangerous to human life or limb. One of the craziest things, I mean, this is probably very uh, simple for us who live in Texas anyway, among other places, uh, guns. Do you have guns in your house? Do you have any kind of weapons, you know? Uh, those things, make sure that they're appropriately put away to where they don't accidentally harm or injure or maim anyone. That literally is a part of the halakha of looking out for each other uh, and looking out for other people's things. And it's also upon us to make sure that we don't go foraging and stumbling over people's things to, uh, to inadvertently cause an accident to ourselves. So this is where a little bit of our own personal uh, sense will take into consideration that if you see an area cluttered, don't go try to run through it. You know, if there's obviously things on the floor or in, in whatever environment you're in, obviously move it out of the way. I mean, I know we probably shouldn't have to say that. We're on master plan page 29 in section two. Um, 
So yeah. So anyway, I know that's simple, but I'm just letting you know that when we think about the mitzvot, it literally gets from a very big idea down to a very trivial matter that it's like, oh, of course, that's common sense. It's like the Torah is full of common sense. And like, it's beautiful just to see those points. Because again, like I was mentioning on Shabbat, sometimes I don't ever think about how intertwined into life the Torah is so much so that it's just as holy to pick up trash off the floor so that you don't trip over it as it is to make Aliyah and read from the Torah scroll. Like, it's just like, whoa. But anyway, um, and again, there's like this whole thing, at least in my world, I'm just kind of sharing my, my perspective. So obviously this doesn't have to apply to anyone here, but to me, it's like, the the Torah is holy and it's like I'm so used to at least in the past being like okay now I need to put my religious face on and then it's like okay now that I'm not at shul or I'm not at Erev you know I don't have to be as religious you know but it's like religion is cleaning your room (laughs) like that's a very holy thing to do like get the dishes out of the sink at some point that's a very holy mitzvah, you know, because what if you have guests <laughs> and being kind to your, your family members and yourself, by the way, because you're probably going to need something to eat off of soon. It's like there's a mitzvah for that and there's halakha for that. And it's just like it, it's mind blowing to me when I think about it in those terms. I don't know about for anybody here, but I'm just saying I I. As I read Master Plan, this is what boils up and bubbles out of me. Okay, it says this includes wells, holes in the ground uh, without adequate guard, which, you know, we talk about the mitzvah of if anyone digs a hole and how they cover it, you know, you need to make indicators. Hey, there's a hole here. You can't just do the whole booby trap thing and be like, ah, look what's for dinner, you know, and it's like your best friend and you're like, oh, I can't eat you, you know. Anyway, that was silly, but sorry. Um, so, yeah, so broken staircases, rickety ladders, poison, weapons, objects left on the edge. Whoa, speaking of edge, tip in the camera. Um, <laughs> objects left on the edge of the roof, which might be blown down in a normal gust of wind. Good night. Okay. In a word, you are responsible for the safety of your environment. So if there was ever a time where the finger was pointed at you, me and like all of us, uh, yeah, those particular sections that we just read, like it is our responsibility to ensure not only our personal safety, but the safety of those around us. And so the first part of this chapter is really uh, speaking to that. So I'm going to skip down a little bit to the end of the paragraph. It says the Torah does not allow responsible human beings to hide behind the fiction of a corporation. What does it mean by that? Well, here's, if we go back a few sentences, it says factories which pour dangerous effluents into rivers or allow them to seep into the soil are infringing this mitzvah. The Torah does not allow responsible human beings to hide behind the fiction of a corporation. 
So again, whether you own such place of business or whether uh, you're a participant at particular business, you are sharing in the responsibility of making sure that particular entity is not damaging the environment or other people. Uh, so, I mean, think of the spectrum of that, really. And uh, Shlomo uh, Ben David here, what did he just say? Love your neighbor as yourself comes to mind in this section of master plan. Absolutely, 100%. Oh, I can check a chat down here. Um, where is this at? I'm trying to get used to having two screens. Okay, here we go. <laughs> kind of nice actually okay um if a person or firm persistently infringes these laws he or it may be forcibly restrained by the bet dean you can take action like forceful action if these things are uh, getting out of hand uh obviously you can think of organizations that are out in the world doing this right now uh PETA, uh, the people against the horrible treatment of pets. Um, you have the, the moms against drunk driving. You have the D.A.R.E. program uh, and things like that. I mean, those are just the ones that quickly come to my mind. But obviously, we can all think of the uh, environmental initiatives and not the crazy like protesting, putting up signs and uh, fighting and, and having uh, riots in the street type things, but literally like established organizations that are like hey just need a little check and balance going on here this is this is uh out of line crossing some boundaries we shouldn't be crossing you know and if we come up with things like that as community activists that's another thing we as jews are really called to do is to really look out for our environment look out for our city you know we're told to already pray for our government whether we like them or not but guess what? We're also supposed to be praying and doing things. We don't just pray and just leave it in the air. Like we, we literally put our hands to the plow in some of these things, you know? And so if we're finding opportunities in our community to step up, like neighborhood watch programs, like, you know, what is that? You know? And again, even without having a, a middleman, so to speak, some organization that you have to join, just being friendly and interactive with your neighbors that you're around now and watching out for their property, watching out for those people and their coming and going and vice versa, then watching out for you. Everyone gets to share in this particular mitzvah, you know, like if you see something dangerous that your neighbor may come home and, and trip over or that would attack them, you know, notify the proper authorities, you know, and things like that, or you go move it out of the way. Like, literally, that's what this is speaking to. Like, this whole chapter of Master Plan is like, get outside of yourself. Think about others around you. And, and think about the responsibility that the Torah has placed on each and every one of us. We are known as a Malkut Kohanim, a kingdom of priests. Literally, kings and priests. What do kings do? They take care of their kingdom. They look out for the welfare of those uh, that they are uh, established with. You know, priests, how much care and benevolence are they supposed to be for the entire nation? Well, this is what we as Jews are to the world. We're kings over the world, kings and priests. 
So we should be looking out for the welfare of everyone, not just ourselves, not just our fellow Jew. And it's just kind of one of those things where I love the beauty of Halakha, where it really gives us a simple way to have something tangible to do. Uh, the other thing is, it says, if any person or firm persistent, oh yeah, we just read that. Uh, Bet Dean can get involved. Next statement. In the last resort, the Bet Dean has the power to confiscate the property of the offender under the principle of Hefker, Bet Dean Hefker. Hefker is a beautiful Hebrew word that translates as ownerless. We actually interact with this word, if not more than this, at least one time a year when we prepare our home for Pesach. So, you know, when we're removing hamets, the prayer for the nullification of the hamets, the Hebrew literally says that we are now to call this particular piece that we're nullifying, as well as any other hamets that may or may not be found in our premises, that we consider it hefker. So like the whole thing about things being ownerless, it means like the way we treat comments on Pesach. So in other words, pink slips, uh, eviction notices, and those kinds of things quickly come into play with this. Now, again, a Jewish bet dean doesn't really have the authority over like cities and governments, so especially in this day and age, unless it's like you know, the, the synagogue or, or on some way is, is connected with the city where they can do these rulings. But usually, I, I mean, I haven't seen that. I don't know if that exists anywhere. But yeah, at least within the community, though, we, we can have that happen. So, got something? Rabbi Trugman today was talking about the Shemitah year. Mm -hmm. And then he said that during the Shemitah year, it's kind of like we all become ownerless. Nice. Because Hashem said, you are sojourner with me. The land belongs to me. Yeah. You sojourner with me. I thought it was very interesting because he said that the same level of faith when we said Marseille and Nishma is the same level of faith to observe the Shemitah. Wow. Because we have nothing. Baruch Hashem. So, yeah, Shira was just bringing down uh, a, an insight from Rabbi Trugman Shlita about the 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 Shemitah year. And I was going to say the Yovel, but Shemitah. In this particular case, because the Yovel, same thing. But the Shemitah year, particularly, that the, the land that we even, quote unquote, own, uh, it's ownerless to us, like it doesn't belong to us. And she was just speaking on the level of the way that we say Nasev and Nishma, it also applies to rendering our possessions and our, 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 our land ownerless during the Shemitah year. And, uh, you know, just the, the, the level that you have to think about with that, like, this is the land that I constantly day in and day out work. And then for this particular year, it's like, nope, don't get to work it. It's not yours. People are going to come in. Animals are going to come in. And you're like, that's my stuff. Oh, my gosh. You know, you freak out. But it's ownerless. It doesn't belong to you. So uh, that was just a beautiful uh, insight Shira was sharing. So uh, here we go. 
going on to the next part here, it says um, the whole thing about the bet dean uh, being able to bring something and make it uh, ownerless, confiscating the property and things like that. That's from Yevamot uh, 89B in the Talmud. So you can read a lot more on that. The ultimate power of enforcement vested in the bet dean of Torah is rooted in the Torah principle that there is no absolute ownership of property. I forgot the, the other cool insight Shira just shared that we're all sojourners with Hashem. Hashem tells us that we're sojourners with him. So it really connects to this point that even the things we think we own that we purchase, I'll use air quotes because it's a purchase for us, but in the grand scheme of things, what are we really doing? Because it doesn't belong to us. The air we breathe doesn't belong to us. We have no rights to be like the next oxygen breath that I need. I get it, you know? And so just think about that. If you ever want to think about how big Hashem is, he goes, yeah, so I know you need oxygen to live. And, um, you know, there you go. Whether you ask for it or not, here it is. But it doesn't belong to you. <laughs> but you need it to live. Shamo, you got some? Oh, I was just thinking about the Yovel. Um, when the Torah was given, it doesn't use the word shofar, but rather Yovel. And the Yovel points to the 50th uh, year, which is the Jubilee, when everything is released back to its original owner. But we read in Tehillim 24 that it says, and the earth is the Shem's and everything that is in it. So... Wow. Like it says, it's ownerless altogether. We're stewards. It's been put into our care and we have to treat it as such. That's incredible. There's actually a Bahatorum on Devarim 810. If anyone has that uh, that section of Bahatorum, this is one of the reasons why we say a bracha before we eat. The Torah only tells us say the blessing after you eat. But the sages tell us, say the blessing before you eat, specifically because of that particular song that Shamo just mentioned. And so if we ever partake of food without thanking Hashem for it or asking him for it, it's considered stealing, which is one of the top 10. And so uh, it's so crazy to, uh, to think about that in those terms. And that's just for food. And as Shlomo was just mentioning, you know, that even anything within creation that we want to think about, it really does not belong to us. And so um, I don't know about you, but think about the level of humility that has just now been presented to all of us, <laughs> because where do we have the space in the room to be arrogant? One of the things I, I have been uh, in the music uh, kind of world, I would I won't I won't say in the music business, but. Uh, I've done concerts and things like that. And I always think about all of the particular uh, artists, whether they sing, dance, rap or whatever. And um, they do it from a boastful standpoint. I'm thinking to myself, like, dude, if you had a cold or a stuffy nose, like, like you're done, you know? And it's just like, 
or you break your leg, you know, that's going to hinder your tour, you know, but yet particular rappers go around saying that they're gods, that they, they got so much money. They got all the stuff, you know, ain't nobody better than them. They're number one. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. You know, or people who think that they're just, you know, the bomb.com affiliated incorporated or whatever, you know, I'm just like, dude, we don't own anything. <laughs> so anyway, um, I just can't let that go. Just this is the hugest say for me, like a heavy hit, you know, in this week's uh, section of master plan is this. Can we get to a place of humility like that in all areas of our life? You know, maybe we think we've been humble before, you know, but it's like the moment you say, oh, I'm totally humble. Just kind of like, well, <laughs> that that statement is uh, self-incriminating. So we have another hand up. Uh, Shlomo. <laughs> uh, yeah, about humility. Um, what was the commandment that given to Adam before he sinned? Mm. Tend the garden, work it. Mm -hmm. I, I've given you every fruit-bearing tree, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you don't get to eat of it. Yeah. Yeah, it showed lack of humility wow. for him to eat from the tree. I mean, it's just a total disregard for what didn't belong to him in the first place, which again is theft. And it flew Hashem. That is deep. <laughs> so basically, how we look at the mitzvah, how they're all connected to each other, right? So you violate one mitzvah, you violated them all. Now, based off of that particular insight, we now see how Adam was basically violating the halakha of environmental protection and safety. The fact that he ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, he brought poison and death and destruction into the world. So now we literally get hurt by it. And humility went completely out the window, not only for him, but for all of us, because whenever we decide to tell Hashem, yeah, Hashem, I know, I know, you know, bless you, O Lord of all. And then you go out and do something and it's just kind of like, wow, we just did the same exact thing Adam did. And we've violated so much. And this is just one piece of it, which I just want to point out, if we ever want to think about the way we study, understand the depth of what we're studying at one particular moment in time, we've gone from written to oral to halakhic to midrashic to Kabbalistic expialidocious all the way down. Like we just hit a whole bunch of things at one time, you know, and, and really being able to zoom out and looking at the big picture of things is absolutely incredible. So uh, this is one of the things that I've been working on with uh, my Havruta and, and reading the handbooks, because sometimes you get into the handbook and it's like such a, a technical point, you know, but it's like that technical point has a ripple effect. You know, for instance, um, let me see here. I'm going to go to the most recent thing we did. 
I'm in volume two. So we were on page, I think it was 137. No, not 137, 237. Oh. No, 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 not that page either. Where were we? One second, 273. Oh yeah, we're in reward and punishment. So chapter 18. Yeah, okay. So here it is. Thank you, Hashem. Okay, chapter 18. It's on page 273 in volume two of the Handbook of Jewish Thought. Uh, this is section 1830. I'm going to read it and then kind of show you the circle that we took based off of this one particular point. So the study of God's Torah is essential to the survival of the Jewish people. Its neglect can spell ruin. God therefore told his prophet, why was the land destroyed? Because they abandoned my Torah, Jeremiah 9, 11 through 12. On the other hand, Torah study serves to protect the Jewish people, both individually and collectively. As it is written, it is a tree of life to all who grasp onto it. Proverbs 3.18. So my question was, what is the dynamic or the, the connection with the interplay of Torah study bringing like blessing and, and uh, repair, not only to us, but to the whole entire world versus uh, not studying and how the ripple effect of not studying Torah brings damage and destruction not only to us, but to the world. And so he was just like, okay, let's go there. Cause you know, we'll go deep and then we'll come back, bring it down to a simple. There's a, a insight uh, from Kabbalah that says Hashem created and destroyed 18,000 worlds before this one. And it was all based off of Hashem each time offering the Torah and no one accepting it. It wasn't until Mount Sinai where we as the Jewish nation stood before Hashem and said, yeah, we don't know what it says. We don't even know what the Torah is, but we take it. We accept it. We embrace it. I don't know what's in it. Okay. When, by the way, number one thing in the Torah was, you shall have no other gods before me because I'm the one who took you out of Mitzrayim. What did we do? We said, hey, other God before Hashem. You took us out of Mitzrayim. If you ever wanted a picture of irony, I mean, really? The, the nation that's responsible for keeping this world alive was totally like, yeah, we'll, we'll put on the superhero cape and then we'll throw it on the ground. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my gosh. But anyway... The point is, it's not a literal 18,000 worlds, but it was uh, a hyperbole expression to say that if there wasn't any Torah study ever in the world, which thank Hashem, we have so many people in this day and age that are studying the Torah, teaching it, learning it, finding out about it, researching it, all of that goes into play, that we literally sustain the world. 
And so I said, well, okay. One of the reasons why we went into the Babylonian exile was because we did not say the blessing before studying the Torah. And because we did not do that and we studied Torah, it was like we still brought disaster and ruin. So like the craziness of that, right? And so he goes into, um, I mean, there's a whole lot to unpack here, but I want to keep it kind of in a nutshell. But the, the main thing that we spoke on was that the order that's established in the universe because of who we are, because of each of our families, each of our households, we are the repair that we want and pray for in the world. In other words, changing the world is us changing ourselves. And it's particularly seen by the very fact of our studying Torah, the way we do it, and actually living it out, that we actually heal the world, quote unquote, and make it a better place. And this all comes from one point about if you neglect the study of Torah, it brings ruin. And it's just kind of like, okay, expand that out and also bring that down to a very trivial matter. You know, you think about where you are in your workplace or where you are in the grocery store or, you know, wherever. You're kind of that, that one shining emblem of Hashem is real. Here is all the hope in the world ever. That's you. That's us. That's literally who we are. We're like these giant balls of light that are where that was the original light that shone forth into creation. And so we're literally pushing back against the darkness and undoing the ruin that's in the world. And all of this information comes out of one little point like that in the handbook. And so you end up doing this all encompassing uh, kind of study and impact uh, from the things that you read. So just a level of um, what encouragement to say the least to all of us and to anyone who is watching uh, this video, whether live or later, that when you're studying Torah, understand the depth of the little bit that is in one verse, one commentary, one insight, one phrase. All of these different layers are connected and attached to it. So if you don't think about that, you know, in the list of, okay, I got to listen to this podcast, I got to go to this class, I got to read this book and I got to read this commentary. It's just like, okay, great. Go for it. Get, get all the mining in the world and get all the sparks and the treasures you can possibly get, but don't ever uh, short yourself of how much you've actually taken in and by default put out at the same time. It's so, so powerful. And it takes the contemplation it takes the, the counsel back and forth, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or, again, with multiple people. It takes that kind of counsel to bring out those points. Okay, so a uh, couple more points here, and then we'll conclude uh, the master plan section of the Bet Midrash tonight. And then we'll see if anybody wants to discuss anything and talk it out. I know I bookmarked my page. Just got to get to it. All right, there it is. Rukashim. Okay. Last section. It's called a blessing to all. 
It says, we are given all that we have. Again, I think it's crazy with the fact of we buy things. We purchase this building. You know, I bought this phone. It's like, well, technically it was given. Uh, yeah, that's underneath everything that we do. Okay, all the riches of this world by Hashem, by God. He wants us to be with all our belongings, a blessing to the world. We must be on our guard that these riches do not become a curse. Seriously? That our riches do not become a curse, our possessions? So this is one of the main reasons why, as I've seemingly been collecting tablets and cell phones and uh, all sorts of electronical devices, Bluetooth, keyboards, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah, I'm about to use this. Because one of the things I love to do is I love to put all of my tour study uh, sources on them. And if I'm ever in a conversation and I'm talking to two or three people and I'm like, oh yeah, and I'll start like reading one of my notes. And then I'll like, I'll give somebody my phone and be like, here's, here's where it is on Safari. And then we'll be reading a book off of my Kindle. And I'm like, oh, yeah, here's that book. So you can see exactly what I'm reading. You know, and everybody's like, uh, Matt, why are you pulling out like five devices and like sharing all of your stuff right now? And I'm like, well, just so literally, literally all on the same digital page, <laughs> you know, and uh, funny, funny situation where it was like four of us. And I, I kept giving out all of my backup phones and everything. And they're like, Okay, is that it? Do you have any more? Are you, you know, are you hiding anything else? And it's just like, no, that was it. If anybody else needs anything, you're gonna have to use the one I'm using, you know. So anyway, I say all that because for me, that's what it looks like being a blessing to the world. There is no reason why someone shouldn't have access to any of the digital content of Torah, you know, that Hashem has freely offered to all of us, you know. And if I'm reading something. And I have an extra phone laying around and it's like, yeah, here, read it, read what I'm reading, you know, like those kinds of things. If you have a particular commentary and you have duplicates or you have the one you're reading and you already know what it says. So you're just reiterating and go, hey, yeah, it's on this page right here. If you really want to read the rest of it, you know, that's what it looks like being a blessing to the world. Uh, sharing is caring <laughs> is the. The phrase that comes to my mind right now. Um, anyway, so remember, page 30, master plan says, remember, the Talmud judges a person's morality level by how he disposes of his broken glass or any potentially dangerous object. Okay, so that right there was a napalm to the face. <laughs> the first thing I thought about was, where do we have broken glass that we dispose of in Judaism? Uh, anyone ever been to a Jewish wedding? So the groom totally like shatters a beautiful piece of glass. And not only does he leave it there, uh, he gathers those pieces in. It's customary to make them into a mezuzah and put them on your bedroom door. 
So in other words, this broken glass becomes so intertwined into our life. In this particular case, into the life of the bride and the groom. And the implications of what the broken glass means at the wedding and all of that, obviously, just boom, you know. Uh, Shlomo says repurposed. I mean, wow. Because this is what has happened to all of us. And Bezrat Hashem, this is what will happen to the whole entire world speedily and soon in our days of the coming of the Mashiach. The whole world going to be repurposed. What are we doing? What are we doing? Tikkuning for the broken vessels. Because the, the Shavirat, Kaleen, the broken vessels before this world, the sparks of Tohu, the divine sparks that we're collecting, all of those things, like we're literally repurposing the universe, you know? And when a person converts to Judaism, when a person makes Teshuva, when a person repent, oh yeah, Teshuva is repenting. But uh, when a person gets married, you know, um, when you adopt someone, when you have children, you're literally bringing about this beautiful picture of repurposing. So, um, my goodness. And this is how we're judged. This is how moral, this is how moral you find out a person is. Because, oh, how we know how a person can put on a big front and be like, oh, I'm such a Zadik, or someone can call that person a Zadik. Well, guess what? Your morality. I think of what Mashiach Yeshua says, you can judge a tree by its fruit. You want to know how holy, how moral, how upstanding before Hashem a person is? Look at how they treat their trash. Dude. What? Master plan. What are you serious? Okay. I am so loud right now. I apologize for yelling. The halakha that we bring away from this chapter is any activity resulting in smoke, dust. Oh my gosh. What? Stop. Stop. Dumpster any, diving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Any activity resulting in smoke, dust, noise, like myself being really loud right now, I apologize, um, noxious smells or vibration must be sighted where it cannot interfere with the public enjoyment of the environment. Turn your radio down, house parties. Uh, people driving loud at 12 o'clock at night for some crazy reason, playing very, very loud music, even if it's Mozart. <laughs> uh, Shira, you got some? Well, one of the reasons why I moved out of the place I was living yeah? is because my neighbor would slam her door. Oh, slamming doors. Don't do it. Yes. Level, yeah. The way that the minute I got in my own house, yeah, I was constantly waiting for the time that she was going to slam her door. So I had no peace at all. You were just like, waiting for when your neighbor would slam the door because yeah, they slammed the door so much. Like 10, oh my gosh. I cannot imagine like 
your whole time at home, you're just like, okay, preparing for door slams. You know, or just. <laughs> Wow. So uh, that will conclude our portion of master plan for the class. I, I just think um, that section just blew my mind and rocked my entire world. Like it is halakhic to not disturb people. Uh, and one of the, one of the funny things I thought about with smoke is uh, you know burning your food, <laughs> making the smoke detector go off. Like dee 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 dee. Mazel had this beautiful story of like when she's kid. She's like, I would always know dinner was ready when I heard the smoke detector go off. <laughs> I was like, Mazel, come on, man, you can't be saying that. Anyway. Yes. Mm -hmm. My mom always told us when we had broken glass. Yeah. We would have to wrap it in newspaper or in the thick paper yeah. before we fill in the trash can. Wrap the broken glass in thick paper before you uh, throw it away in the trash can. This was something uh, Shira was sharing that uh, she was raised with. So, Some, yeah, something like that what we do is uh, when I was uh, working with my aunt, she had some remodeling. Uh -huh. uh, we used a lot of blades. And so uh, at one point, uh, I saw one of the workers you know, wrapping wrapping the blades in like a lot of tape, a lot of uh, uh, tape. Yeah. And so I asked him, and he said, "We do this so that in case you know we leave it or you know, it gets thrown away in our place, if someone touches it, they don't get cut. You know, they they'll, they'll, they'll touch the tape first. Yeah. And then they're like, if they're curious enough, like you know, to touch it, you know, like they can feel that it's there's something. You know, like they'll, they'll 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 make out that it's a plate in there, but like." The purpose of it was, you know, that so no no other person can get They they could care less. They could just throw away, but they were like, no, we have to do it. So, so you wrap the for the re. So Yokai is sharing about his aunt's remodeling company that you used to have or still have. She still has it. But I used she to work still with. has it, but he used to work for them, and they would take the blades that they would use and wrap them uh, in tape, so that people couldn't. Uh, get cut or hurt off of any of the discarded items so let's just take away what we just learned from master plan about the level of morality that was just shown from that yeah because it was it's, like i said they, they could care less destroy it it's not my problem anymore we're done with the job stuff but their, their whole point is like in case it gets in the wrong or like in case no one knows Man, talk about loving your neighbors. You love yourself. The company literally like embodies that. Yeah. So after that, I was like, I was like, okay, that's. So after that, I actually, I, I, I didn't have that. So honestly, to be truthful, I could get that. You know, just yeah, it goes in trash. It goes in trash. Isn't it amazing how something so like you don't even think about is such a deep indicator of how much a person cares, not only about Hashem, but about other people. This is a company. And we just read, you don't get to hide behind corporations. You can't just go, oh, it's my company. It's not me. You know, those, the, the company's throwing away these dangerous, sharp objects. So I, it wasn't me it, was it, me, it was work. You know, Yokai <laughs> is sharing about this. And I, I just think, 
based off of what we read and learned tonight, I mean, I'm still my mind is just like I'm, I'm blue screen. Like the 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 things that really show us who we are are the things that we don't think about. You know, for me, you know, you think about the macro so much, you forget about the micro. Like, I want to be a great uh, Jew for Hashem. I want to be a great witness of Torah in the world. So let me make sure I'm Zanut. Let me make sure, you know, I'm davening as much as possible. I'm fulfilling this mitzvah, doing that mitzvah, you know? And it's like, but how are you treating your trash? And you're just like, that's not in the Musar book. Get out of here. Is it like y'all y'all feel me? You know, like is it just me? I'm just I feel like I'm yelling. I don't know. Um, everybody's like because you are. That's okay. I'll, I'll work on it. We need to get some soundproof walls. I'm just saying. I'm just saying right now. <laughs> soundproof walls. Everyone, turn your speakers down. Uh, <laughs> uh, don't blow my ears out. I got my headphones on. Hashem. <laughs> yes, I, I need to be mindful of that. What's the halakha say about people wearing headphones? Like, watch their ears. Tonight, this is real. Okay. So, all right. You know, the other thing about this chapter is that if you're working for a company that doesn't follow the halakha that this points out, it's better that you don't work for them. Hmm. Hmm. Because companies have their own value system. And a lot of time, and most of the time, it is in contradiction to the Torah goodness so for those who are here in the room Shlomo Ben David over here going crazy he said that uh, so if you work for a company that's infringing in into any of these issues it's upon you to not be working for that company anymore so my thought is think about that conversation of putting in your two weeks notice like i will not be able to work for you because you're you're a danger to the environment you're throwing your sharp objects away and not protecting people from getting hurt from them you know it's like wait what so you're not concerned about the pto time the pay rate or you know justice for the employees it's like no i think y'all are y'all are rocking it you're knocking it out of the park 401k plan, beautiful. Health benefits, beautiful. Uh, however, <laughs> just like you do, you don't care about your neighbors. You care about yourself. So uh, I'm out <laughs> in two weeks. You know, it's just like or today. I don't know. Texas right to workforce. So I don't know. I'm out today. Like this is my last day. I give you two. Oh, Shira, come on. This is the Jewish way to do. It. I'll give you two weeks. To figure your life out. She didn't say it that way, but I'll give you two weeks to make the proper correction to not be such a danger to the environment. I would have <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the fun things we can get into. Okay. So we got some more stuff on the chat. Or cooking cabbage in the work break room. Can we add to that list fish? Tuna. Tuna. Cooking tuna. No, just like opening the wrapper. Oh, opening the wrapper. Okay. I was thinking we were going for the heavy things, but okay. <laughs> uh, yes. Mindful of smells. Okay, Georgia. She says that would show how valuable 
you are as an employee, depending on the employer's response. Ooh. What, what, what? <laughs> Sorry, we shouldn't be violent, but that, I don't know. Got Apollo Creed in the room. <laughs> oh, yeah, temperature? Oh, the temperature of your workplace. Are they treating you like you're exercising in a sauna versus freezing you out like uh, you're about to be thawed out for dinner or something like that, you know? <laughs> um, but, I mean, Georgia, that you really hit on a deep point there, you know, as far as the, the value of an employee that you become. See, this is the other crazy part about looking into the halakhic aspects of what we just read with the previous chapters of Master Plan is the Torah totally gives you such an edge in the workforce to where you become a standout employee just because you study Torah <laughs> and because you put into play what the Torah teaches you. Like to other people, they may not even think about these things and your employer included may not even think about these things, but you clocking in on time is a level of you showing, uh, yeah, I studied the parasha today, you know, or I did shocker eat this morning because the ripple effects of all of the observances that we do flow over into how well we go to work, you know, for those of us who are still working, you know, um, one of the things I never think about uh, with Torah is I know there's, we need to study, you know, but we also need to work. Whether like we're retired and we're uh, just doing things to keep ourselves preoccupied, doing beneficial things, or, uh, you know, literally having to go work and provide for our families and things. Wherever we are on that spectrum, you know, part of our Torah study is being a valuable employee or being a valuable employer for the people who own businesses, you know, or who are in the higher levels up there. So the Torah completely gives you this light in the darkness, like immediate, like position, which, you know, if you think about the amazingness of that, Hashem is so much for us that he's like, I'm going to highlight you in a way that you're not even going to, you're not going to be aware of because that's just what Torah does. Uh, I'm reminded of the Brock. I got to go get my Sadur over here that we pray in the morning. That is really cool. And that's a part of the, uh, the wake up blessing that Hashem removes sleep from our eyelids. Boy, you talk about coffee, right? <laughs> like, man, I need my caffeine. Like you see this Brocco on page 19 though. <laughs> anyway, um, not page 19, it's page uh, 21. It says, grant us today and every day grace, kindness, and mercy in your eyes and in the eyes of all who see us and bestow beneficent kindnesses upon us. Blessed are you, Adonai, who bestows beneficent kindnesses upon his people, Yisrael. Man. Such an example. Azaria. Shalom, Benny. Hizuk and Rafe to you. May, may healing and strength be supplied to you in abundance. You and Yokala. 
I often pray that I will be used to bless my employer for blessing me. Nice. Nice. Used to bless my employer for blessing me. Wow. Nice. Beautiful. Super thoughtful. And I mean, again, love your neighbors, you love yourself. And you quickly see how when Mashiach told us, you know, this is the greatest commandment because loving your neighbors, you love yourself is loving Hashem with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, your resources, you know, like it comes out, you know, that this is how much you love Hashem. And it's uh, one of the writings of John, uh, which he says that how can you say you love Hashem who you cannot see and you don't, you hate the brother you can see. Let me see here. Let me get the verse actually pulled up. If anybody wants to shout it out, they're definitely more than welcome to do that. First uh, John four. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Good night. Yoke and be killing him. Yes. Have not seen and believe. Yes. Uh the word he said to uh Thomas. Yeah. Yeah. Uh one second. Wanna get the actual coordinates here. Uh yeah, first John four twenty. Okay. Uh what was the thing you said again, sure? Okay. Uh, see if this is what you're thinking about. Yochanan chapter 20, John 20, verse 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Yeah. 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 Which we know goes with walk by faith and not by sight. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and which I think it goes with, you know, that the fear of Hashem. The fear of Hashem? Oh, Shira has a beautiful drop on the fear of Hashem. Yeah. I don't know how we get the mic uh, to get this information, but I'll try to. Oh, you do? Okay. Go for it. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll leave you tag. Okay. So Shira has a, a, a tag that we'll bring into account. Okay. Um, I want to share with you, with everyone, <clears throat> one of my learning models that I got to do this week. I know I sent <clears throat> uh, a message on the on the signal thread, 
uh, this past Shabbat uh, to kind of share that with everyone. But uh, this is something else here. Go to, yeah, here. Okay, so share my screen. Okay, so check this out. So Rabbi Palvinov, uh, yeah, well, Shlita, because he's definitely teaching because I'm reading his book, but um, may he live and be well. He did a Zoom uh, last night that is now posted on his YouTube channel. So Rabbi Palvinov, who is the author of uh, Garments of Light, which is this beautiful book right here that accordingly... According to uh, Shlomo uh, Ben Hillel, may he live and be well, uh, he shared that there's multiple uh, volumes of this. And I'm like, I haven't even gotten through the first one yet. But anyway, um, he was teaching on dreams last night. So I pulled out the learning model and I was like, man, let me see how this thing works. You know, and so in the middle, there, I, there's my terrible writing of Hebrew um, of the word halom, which is the word for dream. And one of the quick things you could see that if you took the letter Chet, which let me see if I can do this now. Got my little drawing pen. I'm going to see if I can use it. Uh-oh, get you some. About to happen. I'm going to put parentheses that you can change that to a Shin. So this is one of the other cool things that you can look at with this learning model is that uh, it's gonna be easier for me to write with this on my lap. Put my little arrows to say interchange. Put a little parentheses around that. Oh, that looks too ugly. Get rid of it. Okay, anyway. So <clears throat> you can quickly see that halom and shalom, you know, just through a substitution of the letter uh, can be a thing. And this is not necessarily to say that a dream is shalom, because sometimes dreams do bring you shalom, but then sometimes dreams bring you the opposite of shalom. So, um, but you can just quickly see how closely related they are. But the other thing that I put like over here and over here is that uh, this is the first uh, letter of the word for dream. This is the last letter of the word for dream. So just kind of looking at, sometimes you can take the first and last letter of a word and kind of look at some of the things. Now, here's something crazy. This just hit me like a lightning flash. 48. What is the wisdom in the number 48? Because when you do chet, and mem, the numerical value of those two particular letters, again, first and last letter of dream, that is the gematria, the numerical value. Het is eight, mem is 40. In 48, it says, what does 48 mean? It reflects the human ability to attach or to reattach oneself to the inner force of life. 
This demands tapping into a constantly renewable source, like a wellspring deep beneath the earth that grants freshness and vitality. Now, the crazy part about this is dreams come from like your, your consciousness and your mind, like dumping out information, one aspect of it. And so on page 288 here in the Jewish wisdom of the numbers, it says, wellsprings of soul, much of the earth is covered by water, but in addition to the readily available revealed sources of water, such as rainfall, the rivers, the seas, there are also concealed sources of water. The Be'er, which is the well or spring of water. Here's our connection to the parasha, because where was Yosef thrown? In a well, not like Jonah, but the other well. Okay, so, <laughs> well, a dry one. <laughs> one that doesn't like to eat food. Uh, but anyway, it says, lies hidden from view beneath the surface. So again, another thing about the, the dreams is they typically bring out things that are subconscious. You know, we don't ever really see, oh, like, oh, I'm going to dream about, you know, Hala tonight. You know, it's like you're going to dream about something else, whether you like it or not, you know. Rabbi Anava says that it also depends on when you have a dream. Rabbi Anava says different when, depends on when. There's whenever, different types. Whenever, like, the, your first dream, like, Whenever you fall asleep, that's just your brain like recalling things that you probably saw. First part of sleep, your brain's just kind of recalling. It's, it's not. It's not the dream that actually you should look out for, like the one that you're just about to wake like. The dreams you should look out for, the ones just before you wake up. Yeah, yes. those are the ones that actually, uh, you know, they call it, have the prophetic vision. If any, like, like if there is prophetic vision in the dream, those will be the ones where it will show through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Um, Right now, too, it also depends on so Yokai's reading in the Midrash says on the Parsha, yeah, it also depends on how you interpret it, it also depends on how you interpret it. It was saying here a story that, you know, that there was two dream, two people that came to uh, a dream teller. Mm -hmm. One paid, one didn't. The one that paid, you know, it was the same dream. One paid was like, Yeah, you're gonna be successful, and so and so and so. The one that didn't pay is like, Well, your dream means so and so and so, which was in he found the negative part. Wow. In it, so it came to be that the person that paid him, his dream came true. The person that didn't pay him, the dream came true as well because the, the, the person that interpreted it like has has like another another thing. Your words have power. Like he, yeah. he was able to dreams go according to the mouth in that way too. So it's, it also depends on how you interpret. Because well, like I said, both dreams were good, but he just found the little the little bad side of it and yeah. was, you know gave it to the one that didn't pay. Wow. Okay, we have a hand raised. Um, I got yeah. something interesting from Sinead Lukot about the pit. Okay, Sinead Lukot on the pit. Um, uh, Koram, which is the mm -hmm. Hebrew word for pit. Yeah. Um, and it mm -hmm. has a gematria of 248. Which okay corresponds to the 248 limbs in the body nice so the section under Nair Mitzvah for this week's Parsha when people pronounce a ban Koram on someone or something they have to be most circumspect even when the ban is in itself a for, of a forbidden nature 
One needs to be even more careful when one places someone in a ban in consequence of a permissible legal proceeding. We can examine and learn from the extreme caution practiced by Yosef's brothers who entered into a conspiracy of silence not to reveal what had happened to Joseph. The secret was therefore kept. Even God himself did not reveal the secret. The brothers had included him in those upon whom the vow of silence was imposed. It was only shortly before Jacob's death when the latter reproved his sons and blessed them that the Holy Spirit revealed to Jacob what had transpired so that Jacob might be able to admonish his sons prior to his death. During these blessings, Jacob referred poignantly to Shimon and Levi's part in the maltreatment of Joseph, Genesis 49.6. They tried to uproot the ox. When a person is close to death, it's time for him to dispense abominations as well as blessings. Joseph never told his father that his brothers had sold him. Um, and there are several conjugations for this verb. Um, one of which, chor, uh, which is het, resh, in its absolute state. But when I looked it up, um, Koram. And this is the Hebrew word for ban. Yeah, but also, it also refers to uh, pit. Wow. They're banning Joseph from studying Torah. This is another way that you can look at it. Based on how uh, Horowitz is uh, bringing it out in Schnee Lakot. That's so interesting since we just read about Torah study providing protection. And I'm pretty sure when Yosef was in the pit, he probably needed a little bit of protection because we read from the sources there were snakes and scorpions in there. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, we're going to take away your protection. But somehow Yosef was able to still study Torah, even though he was in the pit. But anyway, you're, you're reading. <clears throat> um. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of conjugations to this verb. Uh, the primary was the one that um, Horowitz was using. And it's probably core in, an abs in its absolute state. Which is het vav resh or het resh? Het resh. But there is a vav along with it for a complete spelling. Because you know who Hor is. <laughs> he is the the father of Bezalel. Mm -hmm. So the other the, thing about this is the, 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 the Mem Sophit is also in this word. So if you use the complete spelling and you rearrange the words, come more. Donkey. Nice, nice. And then uh, again, rearranged another permutation, Comer, physicality. The physicality where that Rashi points out in the 
Alia, we were reading from Rashi yesterday that Yosef was sold three times. Yep. And his brother's deriving um, benefit from his um, suffering by throwing him into the pit, which is not the kind of Parnassa that we should be concerned about, which brings me back to my point about working for a company that does not respect you sufficiently enough, like say your Shabbat observance, if they don't want to give you that day off, where are you putting your trust? Who are you looking to for your Parnassa? Because all that all comes from Hashem. That's Rabbi Eli Malik Bitterman, Torah Wellsprings. Nice. <clears throat> well, appreciate that insight for sure. So connecting that back with <clears throat> where we were reading, it says that the the well, which we we now know can also be Chorum, is also Be'er. And it says that... <clears throat> In order to draw forth these waters from their subterranean depth, great efforts must be expended to displace the earth lying above them. The water must be drawn from its underground source all the way to the surface. Symbolically, a wellspring can be compared to the soul. And this is where consciousness comes into play because another way to think about soul is to think about consciousness. And we know we have our regular consciousness where we're like, oh, I know what I'm thinking. I know what I'm doing. Or, you know, sometimes you don't know what you're thinking and what you're doing, even though you're seemingly conscious. Um, but you also have your subconscious. And when you're dreaming, those things work uh, in tandem with one another. So you have this level of what is known as your wellspring being drawn forth to the surface during your dream. And that's one of the meanings of 48 is it really brings you in touch with what's going on in your soul, which can be uh, delightful. And it could, like I said before, it could also be disturbing. But the this is the beauty of uh, we have the amelioration of the dream prayer in the Siddur. So if you ever have something that's super disturbing that you dream about, there is literally a prayer for that. Um, and also. Uh, the, the again, like what Yokai was sharing with us, that dream interpretation goes according to the mouth. So um, those are some of the cool things. So anyway, uh, just again, back to the little <clears throat> learning model that I was sharing. Is that. Um, and I don't know if it's still showing on everybody's screen or if you can still see it. But. Share screen. Oh, it went away when the screen went off. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. So, back over here. That was just me looking at the, the first and last letter of dream. But some of the points that we talked through uh, during the, the teaching was uh, prophetic. Dreams can be prophetic sometimes. Um, dreams are like this recorded information. Uh, and again, Rabbi Palvinov shared a, a moment of where a personal story of his, where he had a dream about something that happened a year later, you know, things like that. Uh, signs, which is Simon. 
So Simon, Simon to, Mazel, Mazel to, you know, so good sign, good fortune, all those kinds of things. Dreams could be real. They could also be false, you know. And so um, there's also the, there are three things that they brought out uh, during the particular teaching that have like these, uh, these things that you want uh, to have for good signs. Uh, you also want uh, good to come from them. You want to have a pray for and have a good year. You want to pray for and have good dreams, pray for and have a good government and things like that. So it was really cool to see that there were three particular things that you really want to uh, pray for and hope for having good. Um, so yeah, whoops, I'm getting lines all over my paper here. But uh, so, yeah. And then this other little thing at the bottom uh, is the point that we've been sharing about the interpretation. So, again, because of having this particular uh, method of using to kind of take down notes and put together some thoughts, uh, this is one of the ways you could use the learning model. And again, this is what I shared on uh, last Shabbat uh, that I thought was prep. Bezrat Hashem, something good for us uh, to implement as a community. Here's another one. Um, Shlomo Ben David and I, shameless plug, we do a podcast once a week for like a lot of hours and it's awesome stuff. Um, and we were talking on a particular section of the podcast about righteousness, uh, one of the Pirkei Avot drops. And so I quickly jotted this down to where on a simple level, you know, look at 2 Corinthians 5, Jeremiah 23, Romans 4, Isaiah 42, Jeremiah 33, of 5, 21. Did you know all of those were interconnected and related? That one time where Paul actually talked about stuff that are that's in the oral Torah, that is the same thing that Jeremiah talked about. You know, whoever thinks Paul and Jeremiah are on the same page, at least in today's society, um, you know, it's like, well, here's just one example of many. Uh, obviously, the more you study Paul with your understanding of Torah, you quickly find out that apparently Paul is not who we thought he was, <laughs> you know, so uh, just a little point to that. But this is like a more simplified way to use the learning model. Here's another one. I was in rabbi's class this past Yom Rishon, and he was speaking from this beautiful book, 70 Faces. So, and Shira and I were in that class and it was really, really fun. A lot of cool people come there and uh, we have a, a giant Q&A that goes on for like another hour after the class. So if you ever get a chance to attend, definitely do. But for this, <clears throat> I just kind of took down a few notes real quick during the class. We were looking at uh, Noak and how you can uh, reverse the letters of Noah and get the word for grace, which is Chet Noon, uh, which is right here. Uh, oh, I have to hit Mark. Okay. Yeah. So that word, Chet Noon, um, and it, it all had to do with like harmony, uh, symmetry, balance, beauty. Uh, that's the, some of the inner dimensions of grace. And this is what we find in Noah. Um, just the name. 
we did a whole thing about eye for an eye um, that you can look at in the Torah where eye for an eye appears, and it's the inverse of these letters, pe, kaf, samik, which spells the word kesiv, which is money, which is how the sages come to the interpretation that eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth is a financial compensation term. It doesn't literally mean go gouge out someone's eyes and uh, go take their go take their teeth, you know. <laughs> uh, which I always like to think about the relation of this with what Mashiach Yeshua said about um, chopping off your hand because it's better for you to uh, to avoid Gehenna, you know, than to uh, have your hand cause you to sin. So chop it off. He also said something about the what? About the eye. Yeah, about if you have a dark eye, you know, if the, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your uh, your eye is dark, then your whole body's dark, which has to do with greed, you know, um, and things like that. So, again, just showing you some of the, the ways to use this learning model. I mean, it's literally like you can go anywhere you want to go with it, you know, and if anybody else comes up with some cool things uh with this uh definitely uh feel free to share them with the group because i've been definitely looking for ways to try to help uh this be you know something to help us retain our torah because again one of the most tragic things that can happen to us is for us to spend hours and hours of studying and not have anything to show for it you know and things skip our mind sometimes or you know things like that so Shira's going to share her year out to Shem thing, right? I'm, I'm, I'm asking her. I should, I should ask. Hey, Shira, would you like to share your year out to Shem thing? <laughs> Insight? Uh, I was actually going to ask you if you could come sit in the driver's seat. Can you come sit in the driver's seat? You don't want to be on camera? Okay. I'm I am on camera, but... Yeah, just be over here. That way we don't have to deal with the audio. Here, I'll move my stuff. Welcome to the mic, Shira. Yay. You got enough space? Okay, where? Here? Yeah. Yeah, the driver's seat. We're gonna have a we're gonna have a driver's seat so yeah. everybody can be recorded. Yeah. So um, do you want to drive you okay? He's gonna drive. Yeah, he's eating. Yeah, no eating and driving. It's against the law. Okay, so um I've been studying this book called The Essential Zohar. It's very it explains like the basics and historical facts about the Zohar and kind that kind of stuff. So he's talking about the fear of Hashem which you know sometimes we get like fear we shouldn't have fear we only should love Hashem and all that kind of stuff but it it, it brings to a whole nother level what the fear really means so he says here that in the Zohar in volume one page 188 to one to 194 I don't know what kind of version would that be but anyway he says here in the beginning the creator created it is the first of the foremost of all precepts. 
and it is called fear of the creator, which is the beginning. As it is written, fear of the creator is the beginning of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge. It is the gateway through which one enters the realm of faith. The very existence of the world is based on this precept. Fear of the creator is divided into three categories. Two of these have no real source of basis, and the third is the authentic foundation of fear. In the first category, a man may fear and respect the creator in the hope that his sons will live and not die, or because he fears punishment through losses of his health or his possessions in this world. The second category includes people who fear punishment in the next world. Neither of these two categories of fear come from an authentic source. He whose, whose fear is based on the possibility of punishment lacks the fear of the creator that leads to life. Such a man is ruled by evil fear. And the punishment for these transgressions is the cruel lash. It is written, the creator created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the spirit of Elohim. These are the four punishments of the wicked. First, without form means strangulation. Second, void means stoning and refers to the stones that are sunk in the great deep for the purpose of punishing the wicked. Third, darkness means burning as it is written. And it came to pass when you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness, while the mountain did burn with fire. Deuteronomy 5.20. This fierce fire shall fall upon the heads of the wicked, Jeremiah 23, 19. And fourth, spirit means slaughtering by the sword, as it is written, the bright blade of a burning sword, Genesis 3, 24. This is also called the spirit. This is the punishment for whomever transgresses the precepts of the Torah. Now, he comes with the genuine fear. The genuine fear exists when we fear the creator because he is almighty and governs over all, because he is the source of essence of all worlds. This is the foundation of the most important principle of all the Torah's precepts. Whoever observes the precept of fear observes all the others. And whoever ignores the precepts of fear does not observe any of the precepts of the Torah. Fear of the creator is the gateway to everything. So, and then later we were talking about it and then Emmett was talking about uh, the, you know, some other things here. And then they remind me that passage when Yeshua said, you know, blessed are those who haven't seen and believed. And it really, to me, is kind of like, 
that's the, the genuine fear of Hashem. It's like we don't see Hashem. He's invisible, right? But we fear Him because He created everything. He created us. Not because we're going to have a, a nice house or so He can bless us with the health and wealth and any of these things. Because those are the things, there is nothing, no basis to it. The only basis to fear Hashem is this fear that because he is the creator. And so it kind of reminded me of that saying of Yeshua, you know, that blessed are those who haven't seen and believe. So may we believe and trust in Hashem, even though we have not seen anything and we don't even know how it's going to be in the next life or even on this the end of this life you know so maybe we just i mean now i'm so blown away by this fear of hashem because it's kind of like hard to understand in the beginning i thought it was all about love or fear you know but there's nothing to do between the difference between love and fear. You know, the fear is like, I think Shlomo said, right, Matt, that the fear of Hashem is the key yeah, to, it's the, to the outer court. To the outer court. Yeah. So that's how and we go. The secrets go of Torah is the key to the inner chamber. Yeah. So, all right. Now that I let it go. You're done driving? <laughs> The car is gonna crash. So there's no man driving. Oh, we got autopilot. <laughs> what do you think this is? Me being irresponsible? We got autopilot around here. This is the Shomer tech over here, man. We autopilot. <clears throat> okay, uh, Yokai, you wanted to say something? No. Yokai shared uh, with with me while uh, Shiro was sharing the insight that this reminds him of fear Hashem, you, his holy ones, you know? And so I think that's very, very powerful because when Hashem tells us, be holy as I am holy, he's basically calling us to a place of Yerat Hashem, like fearing him, you know? So just a, a whole beautiful thing there about what does holiness look like? Holiness looks like fearing Hashem. And really, Yerat Hashem causes you to attain everything. So that's intense. Okay. Um, you're a good teacher, Shira. That's from Livia. Get you some. Little does... Uh, I don't, well, we, we have this whole thing where we call people Avengers, uh, the Jewish superheroes. So Shira is Storm. And I always tell her that if you really look at Storm from the X-Men, she literally takes over after Professor Xavier and like raises up all the young superheroes. So I'm telling you, you're, that, that's why, that's, that's you. You have that ability. So um yeah so the other thing i usually do um at least once a week is read some of the mashiach sources so i'm gonna have some parading of the sources that i use right now so here's one of them mashiach if anybody wants to take a screenshot this is uh by rabbi shokit uh he is 
amazing. Principal of Mashiach and the Messianic era in Jewish law and tradition. The other thing is to get the Jewish perspective of the Mashiach. You know, uh, being believers in the Mashiach is, uh, is amazing because <clears throat> we always find him, you know, as we are studying the Parsha, going through the Yom Tovim and things like that. And it's like really cool to, to see those different aspects of what we find in the Gospels, like to be able to find it in, you know, books like Mashiach, you know, by Rabbi Shokit. And you're just like, oh, there's Yeshua right there. Here's another good one. Uh, this is what the rabbis know about the Messiah by uh, Rachmiel Friedland, a uh, really cool book. This is one of the first books on the Mashiach that I got. Actually, it is the first book. So I treasure it so much. Um, but I mean, it's really, really cool. Uh, just a orthodox view of uh, the Mashiach from the sources, because this guy was an orthodox Jew and he's like reading and studying. And all of a sudden he's like, wait a minute, this Yeshua guy sounds a lot like what I'm reading from the Talmud. And it's just like, he is, you know, and he starts basically writing about it. And this is one of the books he put together. So I just kind of flipped over, opened the book because I do, I did want to read something out of it. Uh, page six is the first thing that came up and it says traditional views, Orthodox rabbis of past centuries considered Mashiach to be the center of the whole creation. So in Edom, they talk about being centered. Everything is centered in the Mashiach, everything centered in Christ is what they say. Um, and it's like, well, yeah, that's where he's supposed to be. Um, so, yeah, so that, which if you look at the Hebrew Aleph Bet, what letter is in the center of the Aleph Bet? The letter Lamed. It's called the King letter. Uh, and so the implications of the Lamed and how the Lamed and how on one side you have the Mem, on the other side you have the Kaf. What are those three letters spell? Mem, Lamet, Kaf, Melek, which is king. And we know that the Mashiach is the king. And that literally is in the center of the Hebrew Alephet. So there's that. Hold up the first book again. Mashiach. This one. Let me know when you got it. Oh, my arm's getting tired. I can't do it. Uh. Sorry. Other thing, obviously, you probably have found out by now is uh, when Amet studies Torah, he likes to goof around and have fun. That is uh, scriptural because I was reading one of the Torah Wellsprings by Rabbi Bitterman, uh, may he live and be well, uh, that you have to have fun when you're studying Torah. Like, that's one of the ways Torah sinks into you as well as when you have fun doing it. So be a little bit playful uh, and all that. The next part, it says here, the Mashiach is discussed in the context of the light in the Genesis creation account. So where's one of the first places that we see Mashiach, Simchat Torah? Oh, come on. I love it. <laughs> Uh, one of the first ways we see Mashiach in the Torah is that he is the light 
that Hashem says, Vayhi or, uh, let there be light, or Yehi or, let there be light in uh, the first chapter of Genesis. What's the footnote on that? The footnote, Genesis 1, 4. So the Mashiach first shows up not only in the letter Bet in the Torah, but also in Genesis 1, 4. So as according to the rabbis, this special light was created before the sun, moon, and stars. The Yalkut, which is a rabbinic medieval anthology, says, and God saw the light that it was good. This is the light of the Messiah to teach you that God was the generation of the Messiah. Wait, wait, wait. To teach you that God was the generation of the Messiah and his works before he created the universe. Um, wait, what? <laughs> so sad part is I don't have a way to look at the, uh, the footnotes or anything to the commentary because basically, you know, how in this week's Torah portion, we say these are the generations of Yaakov. It's Yosef. Yeah. So basically what the Yaakov is bringing down is this is the generation of God, generation of the Mashiach, the light. So, uh, yeah, that's that's crazy. So the generation of the Messiah and his works before he created the universe. So this immediately immediately makes me think of Ephesians 2.10. You are the workmanship of Mashiach and uh, predestined for good works. Let's go ahead and read that full verse all the way out. Ephesians chapter 2. Um. It's crazy. The light is the Toldot Hashem. Get out of here. Okay. For we are his workmanship created in Mashiach for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Don't you know about the whole thing where it says we're children of the light and, you know, walk in the light, but not in darkness? Like, okay, so Ephesians 2.10 and the Yalkut totally intersect on what the rabbis know about the Messiah on page six. Goodness. <clears throat> it literally says, Ma'aseh um, Yadeh Elohim, we're the work of the hands of God and um, Beruim created like the word Berea, Bara, Ba Mashiach Yeshua. So the Zohar tells us that man was created with the Torah. And we're literally reading from the writing of Shaul how that also means through Mashiach Yeshua. And again, the Yalkut is saying, and this is the light that Hashem shone forth into creation. So, uh, in that, when we, when we say like Mashiach was the Torah made flesh, Mashiach was the Torah made flesh. So that means the letters that 
makes the letters that make creation, creation yes came and became flesh right yeah the letters of the torah in a fleshly form mm -hmm. which is not meant to be uh i mean it's it is a mystical thing but to, to bring it into an even more of a Jewish understanding is how, you know, each Jew is a letter of the Torah. And in a way, right? right? All of the letters, they come down from world. All of the world. letters come down, yeah. And then this is the world of the physical. Mm -hmm. In a way, they all be, become yeah. matter. And all matter is thickened light. This is what science is now finding out. And again, I'm I'm now parroting uh, what Rabbi Trugman says because I listen to him talk. Real quick, uh, Shamo just dropped a beautiful uh, link to uh, Dafe Tang's blog with an emphasis on gematria. So get you some of that. But yeah, so thick and light. So in order for us to get to actually having a chair, a table, any of the, the physical things we have, it's just light but in a very thickened, compacted form. Mm -hmm. So in other words, to get the Mashiach is to take all of creation and like pack it in and like, boom, the same way that the, we did with the temple. Mm -hmm. You know, the temple is the, the microcosm of creation is what we learned. And there was a temple below it. There was a temple and there's above. a temple below and a temple above, you know? And so, uh, again, just looking at Mashiach is that he is just so, uh, I mean, I can't even think of how to quantify that. Because this is why Kepha says, what matter of man is this? You know, like you're tired and sleepy, but yet you're dealing with nature and able to subdue it, you know, in a in a crazy way. And Again, the, the level of healing the sick and raising the dead and knowing people's thoughts and, um, you know, obviously the whole Garden of Gethsemane playing out. He's totally a human being, but then he's totally like beyond that, you know, like, what is this? Like, you know, which is funny because where do we see the phrase, what is it <laughs> in the Torah? Manna. Parsha Beshlach, when the manna rains down, what do we call it? What is that? Hashem's like, that's your, that's your lunch. <laughs> that's the flesh and the blood of the Mashiach that you're supposed to partake of. And it, it tastes whatever you think. And it, it tastes taste. like whatever you think it would taste, or whatever you want it to taste like. With, with Yeshua, he says, who do you say I am? And they're like, Yahoo Again, I'm yelling. Okay. But he, people are like, you're the prophet. You're Jeremiah. And he's like, well, who do you say I am? You know, what kind of food you want to taste today? Yeah. You know? So that goes to say that... that you got to drop over there. Yeah. You're going to share. You got to drive. Yeah. Go ahead, Shira. Well, there's one of those rabbis like Carmen or one of those Hasidu mm -hmm. rabbis said that where is God? And then when he was like five years old, he said, God is anywhere you want him to be. Wow. Yeah. Get you some. Okay. Whoa. All right. Yokai, I know you're in the middle of it, but can you start from the beginning and take us to where you are? Oh, yeah. I just, uh, you're not you're gonna have to Come on. There. No, well, I was just connecting some dots. Uh, yeah, just connect some dots for us. And I had it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just do it.
Come on, Yokai. Everyone's everyone's here. We all want to see you. Wait. <laughs> Shalom. Okay. No, I was just connecting some 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 of the little dots reading here that I you know for some reason I had I hadn't um, connected them. Uh, it's here talking about um, Yosef being thrown in the pit. Midrash says page page three fifty seven. Get you some. Okay. So um, let me see where it says. Uh, so they're they're talking about uh, what they're gonna go ahead and do to uh, you know to um, they're they're making a a vow between themselves that they're not going to tell their, their father of what uh, of the cell because they they were they were scared that he was going to curse them you know have having turned a curse uh, for them so they 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 went ahead and uh, and um and discussed this among themselves but there was one missing and it was um uh, was it Reuben so he was the reason he was not there was because whenever they 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 threw him in the pit the the brothers sat down and and ate and, and drank and then the, because in their eyes the what they had done was justified um so they were they were at peace with them with themselves um except Ruben. Ruben was not there because he was he was in in uh, constant um teshuva and uh, uh fasting because of you know of the, the sin he committed against his father so his plan and it was Ruben's idea to actually throw him in the pit so his plan was to come back at night and redeem him so that he would be redeemed himself right mm. but when he came back the pit was empty so you know at that that time you know he he uh, he rips his, his clothing and he's uh you know he's um just pretty much you know how he he, he wanted he wanted to, to be to be able to redeem his brother so that he could in a way redeem himself too um so then um he goes on saying that the reason they were going to go ahead and use um the the goat's blood was because it resembled uh, it was close in resemblance to humans uh, human blood and um the thing is that the what's it called it also goes on to tie it it says the fact that Yaakov deceived I'm sorry the the fact that Yaakov was deceived with the blood of a goat was a punishment for having deceived his father by wearing goat skins wow um yeah that's so, a personal way to show him what he did as a, yeah yeah well i mean that and it was it was he was constantly being reminded of that because when he was he's married he's like what have you done it's like didn't you deceive your oh first my god isn't this what you because in fact uh i think uh rabbi lananawa goes to say that um um she was intended for isa yeah so you know her response was like isn't this what you wanted Did, didn't you always want the the birthright of your brothers like i was for Esau. i so was a like, part of the birthright yes yeah, so it's like so now you know it's 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 a whole it's a whole bundle um so i think it's just amazing how you know he keeps being reminded of that you know you know in you know At like the worst times yeah exactly yeah <laughs> but it also goes to say that um he was a great exotic because uh hashem says that you know like um that he wanted to you know live with his with, with his father's lived, you know so that he could continue teaching to uh to people about hashem um 
and so he wanted to live a peaceful life and Hashem said you know like aren't you like you want to leave a live a peaceful peaceful life here's like isn't it enough that you're getting a reward in, in, in heaven that you also want a reward here now too he's like no you're you're also, you know, you're excited you're you're constantly gonna be tested um so that's that's one one cool thing that that I've, that I finally click clicked together that Hashem is you know he's either great Sadiq so this this had to happen uh first of all but Hashem is also kind of like in a way reminding him yeah. of you know like you know the whole thing you know uh, eye for an eye is like you you deceived your father now your sons are deceiving you measure like yeah measure. so the, the way you the way the same way you deceived your father is the same way you're like in a way deceiving uh your sons are deceiving you so even though what he did was a great thing because because he did that to Esau, he redeemed the sparks that yeah. was in the kriba. yeah you know our soul right but in but at the same but the time, pain that comes with that yeah that 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 and you know like at the same time it's like um because it all it, it also goes back here when when it uh goes into um um let me see if i can find it because it, it like so it so they're, they're pretty much saying that you know like the the, the sons are talking among themselves like yeah what we did is right what we did is right but hashem is like that's what you're saying, but who who are you to have the last say? So it's like, are you gonna have the last say? So oh. or am I gonna have the last say? So yeah. that that kind of goes into Titan too, because you yeah. are right, but at the same time, it's like yeah. that was that was them saying what they wanted, or or that was him wanting to do what he wanted to do instead of like letting Hashem, you know, work uh, do his work. So wow. that's that's what I had. Look at Hashem. All right. Well, we have come to the conclusion of our time. So I just want to thank everyone for uh, joining us and being here with us tonight. I will get to our closing blessing for Torah study. Bavakasha, Bavakasha. I think I'm just going to have to use, oh, yeah, here it is. <clears throat> here we go, share my screen so everyone can have the blessing for after study. Okay, here's the blessing for after studying Torah, page 143 in your Siddur. Baruch Ata Adonai, Elohim Menaka Olam, Asher Natan Nanu Torat Emet, Ata Adonai, Ha Torah. We want Mashiach now. <clears throat>